You're listening to If Only I Were Wiser podcast, where I, Raina Wilson, your host, will bring together wisdom and raw life stories to provide encouragement and insight. So many times life becomes messy and overwhelming to sift through all the data, research, and influencer must-haves in order to really be the healthiest version of you. If you're looking to learn, grow, and listen to other people's stories in their own wellness journey, then keep listening, because there might just be some wisdom for you. Hey friends, welcome back to the If Only Hour Wiser podcast. Today we have Allie Archer, a dear friend of mine and licensed professional counselor associate. Allie received her Bachelor of Science in Youth Advocacy from Texas Christian University, woohoo, go frogs, and graduated with her master's in counseling from Dallas Theological Seminary. She is trained in dialectical behavioral therapy and EMDR and is passionate about working with clients who have experienced trauma, abuse, and PTSD. But before we get started today, a quick word about today's content. What we share here is not meant to replace your own personal counseling, therapy, or professional or medical guidance. This space is for sharing experiences and raw life stories through the lens of healing and aligning with the creator's original design. So take the wisdom you need for you from this conversation and protect your peace. I hope you enjoy the message and encouragement from this dear friend of mine as it's guided me in my own life over the years. Now let's dive into this conversation all about mental health, faith in the midst of the brokenness of the world, and how to move forward in healing. Welcome to the If Only I Were Wiser podcast. Wow, I'm so excited to have you here and just dive into this conversation. And it was just so good to see you and catch up with you. Can you start by sharing a little bit about who you are to our audience, just so they can get a better picture of getting to know you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm Allie, I'm 26, and I am a therapist by profession. Um, I was born in Houston and then moved to Fort Worth for college, and I've lived there for the past seven years until we moved to West Monroe. And I'm the oldest child of three. I'm a Enneagram 2 wing 1, and I feel like I'm in this life stage of like, figuring out what it looks like to be an adult dealing with health insurance Mm -hmm. and, you know, just trying to glorify God in it all. Yeah. All the non-sexy things. My sister the other day was talking about, well, I'm an adult, mind you. She's, she is an adult. She just started her first year of college. So I'll give her that if she's listening. But Uh I said, until you start paying towards your retirement and life insurance, you are not an adult. (laughs) Right. Yeah. What does your family look like? What does like a day in the life of Allie kind of look like right now? So I'm married to Chase. We actually just hit two years. Wow. So that's a big milestone. Um, we have a golden doodle named Cooper and we actually just moved, like I mentioned from Fort Worth to West Monroe, Louisiana for Chase's job. So he's the clerkship for a federal judge. So we'll be here for a year and then we know a move is coming up next August. Okay. And so really right now we're just getting to know the new city, exploring a little bit. I actually joined a book club last night, which was so fun. So I felt like, wow, okay, I'm making friends. This is fun. (laughs) That's so you. And then just a day of my life, um, I'm working remotely right now. So I'll wake up, you know, take Cooper for a walk, prepare to see clients, see my clients virtually. And mixed in with that is, you know, trainings and meetings for work. Um, Mm-hmm. And then since sadly Chase is working in person now, I do the cooking. He's definitely the better chef yeah. of it all. I can imagine Chase being a good cook. That's funny. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes, it's, it's gourmet. But can you share with our audience how 
how did you get here? What pushed you to walk into counseling? Where was your heart walking into this? And kind of where did you start? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I was studying education in college and then in college started going to counseling. And I thought, hmm, maybe I would like to be on the other side of mm. the chair. And so I last minute changed my major. I didn't do student teaching and I majored in something called youth advocacy, which was kind of, you know, is complementary to counseling. And then I went to DTS for grad school. And right now I am working towards my hours to become a fully licensed counselor. So that's kind of like educational wise, but yeah, definitely it's been a journey from college to where we are now. Oh, for sure. How would you say, cause we walk through counseling together through college, um, in different aspects, but what kind of got you into, are you studying or like working in a specific area of counseling? Are you seeing like, I guess. Yeah. A population. Yeah. Yes. So I feel like, you know, as a new counselor, you see all kinds and types of counseling, which is really fun to help you decide what you like. And, you know, strangely, what really has captured my heart is trauma. I really Mm. feel like it's a great honor to sit with people and hear their stories. Sometimes the first time in their life, they've said these things out loud. Right. So I think that is definitely where I lean. I think trauma is really cool to see people who go from having like just really maladaptive coping mechanisms and are just not able to live a healthy day-to-day life, be able to heal from that and then have a healthy life Mm. in relationships with people and have a purpose. And then also something else I really like is um, couples work. Okay. I really enjoy, you know, communication working on problems, root issues. I think it's really cool when couples like have that aha moment of like, oh, this was the issue in our sex life. Or like, oh, we really just need to spend more time together. I think those two populations are really enjoyable. It's what I feel like gifted at. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Can you, let's dive into that a little bit. Can you explain what your, I don't know, textbook or your idea of trauma is and then kind of walk through you mentioned some of the issues in couples counseling but can you kind of like walk out that dichotomy in those populations yeah so I feel like that's such a big question like what is trauma but I think on a basic level trauma is something you go through that is damaging scary harmful um, hurtful that you walk through and you couldn't process necessarily by yourself. So there's a difference between painful things and traumatic things, if that makes sense. So, yes. So let's say we can go through painful things and get out on the other side and maybe even feel stronger or more refined or um, mature. Trauma is something that you would walk through and say, man, I still feel beat to the ground. I still am having these flashbacks that hit me so hard. And if you think about it, you know, trauma is stored on a cellular level. So that's why it doesn't work for people to say, Raina, just don't be triggered. Right, and just calm down, you know, just get over it. That was 10 years ago. Why are you still hanging on to this? And I think that is the work in counseling of, okay, how do you process this in a healthy, safe way? Not to where you're reliving your trauma in counseling, but right. to where we can get, okay, let's healthily process this. And it can look a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different modalities and trainings, but I, I use one called EMDR, which is a way to reprocess that trauma into a healthy way. Um, Can you share a little bit about EMDR? I've heard pieces of it. I I know it has to do with your eyes, but can you um, just share what that is? 
So EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. So that's a mouthful. But basically, it's a research-based modality to help process trauma, primarily by using eye movements, tapping, or some sort of auditory stimulation to help the client access that stuck point or the unprocessed memory. So the stimulation allows both sides of the brain to be used. You use these methods with trauma clients as well as couples, right? Well, EMDR would be just trauma. So let's say you have a sexual assault or a horrible wreck or um, abusive childhood. I mean, it could be Mm -hmm. your whole childhood. It could be an event. And basically what we'll do is we'll target that specific trauma because what our brains do is we store that trauma in something called memory networks. And so sometimes people can go through traumatic things and that memory, like we talked about, is processed and they can move on and it can just be a part of their story. But other people, that trauma in a really unclinical term, gets stuck in us, stuck in our brain. That's why we can have flashback triggers, um, dreams from something that happened so many years ago is because our memory Mm. networks haven't truly processed that memory. Because think about it. Our brains, you know, aren't made to take all of that painful thing at one time. You know, no child was ever meant to be abused. No person was ever meant to be assaulted. And so it can be a lot for the human Mm -hmm. brain to process on its own. So, you know, something like EMDR um, would help you say, okay, this is my target memory, and we need to go and see what's in there. EMDR uses it, clearing it out. It's also really in touch with the body. Like I said, you know, we hold trauma in our body. Some people have chronic pain for their whole life and then realize, wow, this was connected to an assault or a horrible work situation. And so I think it's really cool to even – See, like, wow, you're not done with EMDR until you have something called a clear body scan. Of course, people have other types of pain, but part of my job is to make sure that there's not any, um, like residual, like remaining residual, yes, wow, in the body. So it's interesting how trauma and the body are so tied together, which I know is kind of like what your whole podcast is about. Like, how do we have this whole healthy system? Yeah. And I'd recently read the book, The Body Keeps Score. The author is blanking on me. But that, I think, was a, to a layman, you know, a perfect Mm -hmm. picture of, hey, your stressy and depressy feelings, emotions, or events get physically stuck in your body. So, you know, your chronic inflammation, your gut issues, your Mm -hmm. anxiety, depression, whatever... Yeah, headaches. Exactly. Can manifest physically because of an emotional event or, you know, feeling. Right. Which is just fascinating. That's not, that hasn't been processed. Exactly. Because it's like you said, get stuck, right? Right. And I know that's so unclinical, but I think that's the best way to describe it is, you know, sometimes you just need a little extra help getting unstuck. And um, so for couples, kind of changing gears, it can look totally different. So it can be emotional based. It can be more um, like cognitive therapy. Right now I'm studying how to do couples therapy when one or both parties has experienced trauma. And it's just fascinating how couples can even replay traumatic events within the marriage because sometimes your safest person is your punching bag, right? Oh, wow. And so I'm just yes fascinated by, you know, how to help couples heal who've been through hard stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, something that I really like to do is just meet the couple and then make the treatment plan rather than have a, oh, this is on my to-do list with y'all. 
Yeah. Because every couple is different. Every couple needs different things. Just like every individual person too. So I've had a lot of joy in like crafting a treatment plan for every person that comes through. Mm -hmm. And that's just such wise wisdom and an approach to, you know, we talked about holistic healing is approaching the person as an individual versus these are all the modalities and Mm -hmm. boxes that we check for us to be able to approach this situation. You briefly touched on a handful of these things, but like you said, being on the other side of the chair now, how important do you view professional support? And like you said, getting unstuck. So I think I want everyone to know, you know, I'm not a counselor coming on here saying that everybody everywhere needs counseling, right? Like that's not what this show is about. This is just about how to check in with yourself and see where you're at. But you know, like we talked about, if there is this constant struggle with you know, emotional regulation, relationships, anxiety, depression, like that's a great red flag of like, hey, maybe it is time to reach out. And we're going to talk about this more later. But I also love to, I want to note that like our relationships are so important to our healing, to have healthy people, whether that's Mm -hmm. friends, you know, church community, like that is so vital in moving forward in life. We were not supposed to live on an island. You know, we need that community around us to thrive. I truly believe that. Absolutely. So what has it been like for you and your own counseling journey to walk through healing mentally and spiritually? You know, obviously I do not want to come on here and be like, I have arrived. I've got it down, but this is kind of more my in progress journey, you know, trying to stay a consistently healthy human. So I feel like I'm rambling on about community, but you know, before I ever stepped into a counselor's office, like I had been blessed a core group of girls around me, even through high school. And I think Raina in college, you were one of those people that we could sit down and just say truly whatever. I didn't have to filter anything that I needed to tell you. I could say, Hey, this is what I'm truly going to. I remember telling Chase, my now husband, like I could tell Raina anything and she wouldn't judge me. And I think those are the kind of relationships that are so important to us. And so I love to throw that part in of like, I think even in a place where I had great Mm -hmm. people surrounding me, I still needed help. So one, you know, we were made to be known and to have that secure attachment to others. Um, We need to have people mentally reminding us that we're not alone and that we're loved. And then having also people being able to point us back to the goodness of God and saying, hey, God is your rock and he's the only person that can be that. So that's kind of the two things. But we'll go into my story a little bit. So I found a great counselor named Crystal who not only was like a great fit for me, but she also had experience in what I was working on. And she was an integrated counselor. So it can be so confusing about biblical counselor, Christian counselor, counselor, you know, it can be so confusing. Mm -hmm. But basically what I needed in a counselor is someone who acknowledged that science was real and had a faith-based worldview. So that is what really helped me is I wanted someone coming from that biblical perspective, but also believed. Right in science and that anxiety was real and depression is real and trauma is real. So that is like kind of my two cents Mm -hmm. on that one. And Crystal was just a great fit for me. So first in my mentally healing journey, I would say I had to learn that it's okay not to be okay. Mm, That was really hard with my perfectionistic, you know, type A personality, but it really is not weakness. Yes. And then I had to learn how to cope with my emotions and we would get practical on this later because I want to leave y'all with some practical tips too. For sure. Something that sounds very counseling me, but I had to learn how to be nice to my inner child. So there's some background on this, but 
when I was 12, my mom suddenly passed away and I never really dealt with it. I just kind of moved on with life. And so I did not have this on my agenda for counseling at 22 years old to deal with this. But I had to acknowledge, wait, I did have this traumatic thing happen when I was 12. And so that was so cool even to go in, not that not even being on my radar and saying, oh my gosh, like when a 12 year old loses her mom suddenly, obviously that's painful. And it was a really cool experience of me to kind of Mm -hmm. realize like, wait, I was suppressing so much because I just wanted to be normal. I wanted to be okay. I think that was a really beautiful thing to get to work through. The last thing that I think is the hardest thing that I still struggle with is just learning acceptance. And that just means like to realize I have to accept the imperfect version of, of myself and my circumstances right now. That doesn't mean that I can't change them or want to change them, but it's that, Raina, I'm here right now. This is my true state. I even, we were talking about this, you know, right before we started of like, I cannot believe we're recording a podcast today, but yeah, just accepting like, Hey, this is where I am. Right. And once we can accept where we are, that's when change can happen. Mm. There's this quote, I forget who said it, but you know, when I accept myself as I am, Mm. then I can change. Yes. And that's rocked me to my core. So that is kind of the mental healing and we can move into some spiritual healing, which I think has been a part of both of our journeys. Yes, for sure. And this is just for me, you know, my journey, um, learning that God is safe and he's good. He's not mad at me. Um, I had just picked up so much baggage on the way to being an adult that I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. God actually loves me. I think I had to read the Psalms just for a year to get to that place. Right. Because I was so scared that God was going to be mad that I wasn't doing something he wanted me to do. That I just read that, hey, you know, like those comforting psalms, those raw psalms, the I'm not okay psalms were really comforting to me. Yes. Yeah. And for listeners, the psalms is a good chunk of the Bible that, Allie, and you can correct me on any of this, is just, I think, real love letters back to God. And was like, in a lot of them, it's David showing up as his most authentic self and being like, hey, God, you kind of screwed me over or I'm really angry or really sad or I'm really excited and want to celebrate you. But I think I wrestled through the Psalms in a variety of seasons, too, was the reminder of in our human brokenness, we can still look to God with our fullness of emotions. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like he doesn't shy away from my big feels. Right. And I think that's so comforting, like you mentioned to be able to read that biblical truth and come back and process in counseling that God can still be good and I can still accept my horrible circumstances. Yes. And like you said that, you know, I always tell my clients, like, it is a beautiful thing to be able to experience the range of human emotion. Mm. And I think that is what the Psalms gave me is like, wow, I can allow myself to feel the range of human emotion. Yes. In regards to God. Yes. Um, this one is a doozy learning that people pleasing was my God and that you cannot serve people pleasing and God at the same time. They just can't exist. Oof. Yes. They can't. Louder, please. And again, this is still a process. This is still what I struggle with. And it's a good reminder of like to truly be spiritually whole, emotionally whole. We can't have this constant need to please Mm -hmm. others or impress, you know, it could look different for different people. Mm -hmm. And lastly, on the spiritual healing that I've been through, you know, I also had to unlearn some toxic beliefs that I had about God and my relationship with ministry. And, you know, I think it counseling was really great because I had a safe place to feel like I had everything wrong about church and God and the Bible and be able to rebuild 
into a healthy relationship. And we'll talk about this later, but you know, right. I had to rewire my brain to go from you are never doing enough to Christ did the work. <laughs> yes. And the fullness of that doesn't take away from the fact that you can still feel all of the range of human emotions right now. Right. And I just, you know, want to say to listeners out there, sometimes this unlearning piece is the hardest, you know, letting go Mm. of those toxic, untrue beliefs that you've held so dear and so close to your heart. It can be really hard to let go and accept another truth, you know, to unlearn something, we have to learn something. Right. And I think like you mentioned the unlearning part is so difficult because I think there's an intimate part of our hearts that when we learn those toxic beliefs, because of our human brokenness, they can settle easier into our soul, right? So it's like, we really deeply, it's not a passive work, you know, like this kind of healing is not a passive work. It's an intentional, I have to not only like weed the ground, but I have to like get into the roots and pull these foundational toxic beliefs out so I can provide space for both these emotions that I'm feeling in the moment, but also like the word of God to heal those like most intimate aspects of our heart because those toxic thoughts took root in a place that only God should have been. Right. No. And I love, I love all that. And I think a good thing to take away from this for the viewers listening is our default is shame. Yes. And if you are not actively working against shame, you're probably living in shame. Mm -hmm. So I love what you said about, it's not just, you know, digging the roots, tilling the soil, but like, okay, got to pull those weeds out pretty darn often. Yes, absolutely. And that's why it's so important to have a counselor or community around you to be that, I guess, objective support in the midst of this healing process. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great place where your church community can show Mm -hmm. up. Mm Mm-hmm. We've touched on this a little bit, but I know a little bit more than your your story than some of our listeners. So mm-hmm. in the midst of, I think, the raw and brokenness of trauma, like you said, processing mm-hmm. um, your mom's passing, how do you wrestle with the tension of having faith and knowing that the Lord is good, but also like in the moment, those are really big feelings, right? Like I think even for yeah. myself, it's so yeah. hard in the middle of brokenness or anger or shame, it's so hard to remember and whisper back to myself that the Lord is good. So how do you kind of walk that tension? Um, You're going to hate this answer because I hate this answer, but we Mm. live in a tension and there's no escaping that. We, and I'm speaking as we of a, you know, right. Humanity can be so black and white. We are either in trauma or we are not in trauma. We are happy or we are sad. We are doing great in life. You know, it's like we can be in such black and white boxes. And I think part of my healing journey and so many of my clients is just realizing like two things Mm. can be true at once. Yes. You know, that we live in a broken world and we are being restored day in and day out. Mm. And it's not a fun tension to live in all the time. So, you know, as far as faith, we have an unchanging, faithful God who we have our trust in. Thankfully, God's word does not change. And, you know, our faith cannot just be a feeling dictated by our moods. It's so much more than that. It's a core belief we have. So I think if you struggle with that, you know, I'm like thinking of a tree in the wind, like being tossed back and forth, like remembering the roots are faith, not the limbs Mm. 
or the leaves, even though we can feel like that sometimes. Right. That's a perfect image. Yeah. And then, so let's talk about big feelings. You and I are both people who have those. (laughs) So I think this is, I'm trying to try to get really practical here is feelings and emotions are not facts. Okay. They're not facts about the world, but they can be Mm -hmm. signals or red flags to help us make decisions. So if we're really getting at, like, what is the purpose of emotion, they're signals. It's good that we feel things. It's good that we feel fear sometimes. It's good that we feel sadness mm-hmm. sometimes. Because, like, like we've talked about, we have to feel the range of human emotions to be a healthy human. But we can't take them as facts. I want you to chew on this, Raina. Feelings are real, but not always accurate. Oof. Isn't that good? Feelings are real, but not always accurate. Right. That's so, a good one. It's, it's this thing of, you know, when we're frustrated with someone, we're like, oh my goodness, how in the world could you be feeling that right now? Well, maybe because yes. their feeling's not accurate, but we can still validate, okay, I'm seeing that this is really hard for you, and this is striking you in it with a really, you know, painful way, but let's talk about reality. Mm. Yeah, and bring them back to that kind of grounding yes so even ourselves we can say reality right oh my gosh i feel so anxious right now what what's really accurate about my situation oh i just feel out of control right and and i'm not speaking for all anxiety of all time but i think Mm, when we have that fleeting feeling of fear sadness overwhelmedness jealousy yeah confusion it can be Mm -hmm. like wait that's a real thing that i'm feeling but it doesn't necessarily mean it's in line with reality so i think that's something really fun and then another like kind of tidbit of facts that I learned learned recently is okay when you have a feeling okay Raina bring up a feeling that you have sometime anger anger okay so truly only 90 the first 90 seconds is truly anger in that moment and that 91st second is the story that you make up in your head that's crazy wow isn't that amazing again it's not saying that your feelings are invalid it's just saying that so much of what we feel is that voice in our head. It's so much of what's ruminating in our mind constantly. It's so much of the every other time you've been angry at that person mm-hmm. or that situation that comes piling wow. in. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? Definitely. So I think it can be helpful, you know, for viewers, myself, for you, when we have those big feelings, think, okay, what, what's really going on here? Mm-hmm. Can I pause and reflect and not just have all of the other things I've been struggling with pile onto this situation. Yeah. And think I, what I've heard from you is like in those moments, I think the healthiest thing to do is not to discredit the emotion, but pause and reflect. Right. Like acknowledge right. and because live. Because if we suppress, yes. they're just going to come back up. Oh, for sure. Like live in that 90 seconds, but be prepared or acknowledge the fact that at 91, the enemy is really good at his job. So yeah. all of those other feels, like you said, all of the other times that you've been angry will come in and create the overwhelm. And that's where we need to pause and reflect to be able to walk back to in the midst of that tension, in the midst of our feelings and those big emotions, mm-hmm. the Lord can also be good. And these are the things that he's spoken over these yeah. feelings, circumstances, or um, events that are going on in our lives. Yeah, Totally. So I think something that um, credit counselors can kind of get a bad rap for is we talk in all these counseling terms. So I want to go practical. I want to go like what to do in these moments. Yes, okay. let's do it. So I, I kind of um, talked about this earlier and we're going to have a 
all these are going to be linked below if you would, Rena. For sure. So radical acceptance. This is a skill where you have to accept your reality for how it is, not how you want it to be. It's fully acknowledging the good, the bad, and the ugly in life. Allie, are you saying I have to like that my grandfather has cancer? Or I have to like that my husband has this addiction issue? Or I have to like that I'm in between jobs right now? No, 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 no. We do not have to get cozy with the painful things in life. But we have to acknowledge what's real. Mm. So radical acceptance is a great thing. Let's say when you're getting to your breakdown point. Yes. Or on, you're on the other end of the spectrum and you're like, I cannot even get out of bed today. We have to radically accept, okay, I have to truly acknowledge where I am so that I can get out of that space. Sounds very simple, but really hard. Mm. No, acceptance is the hardest part, but it's also, I think, the first step. Yeah. So I think, you know, if there's a viewer out there saying, okay, how do I start this? Maybe ask yourself, like, what am I suppressing? You know, what do I like to, like, bury in my closet and not think about? That's a great place to start of probably needing to accept that. Mm-hmm. The next one is check the facts. Okay, this is one of my favorite skills to do with clients because it's so good. It's asking what is actually true and what is an appropriate response to that truth. So I could come in here and say, or an example of check the facts would be, I'm at a party and there's a group of people talking with their back towards me. Well, obviously they're talking about me, right? Think about how fast that assumption can be made. Mm-hmm. Yes, it can be made in a snapshot. We have we have to stop, like we talked about those automatic thoughts and say, okay, Allie, do I have any proof that those people would talk about me behind my back? Have any of those people ever said anything about me before? Mm-hmm. Do those, is that in those people's character to gossip about me when I'm in the same room? So I think to even walking yourself down those stair steps of, okay, I, like you said earlier, we assume so much. And so I think a good skill is check the facts. You know, it's like you with your baby. If you have that, like, oh, I'm such a bad mm. mom. You know, it's like, wait, do I have any right. proof to show that I'm a bad mom? Like real, real proof. Do I have any outside people telling me I'm a bad mom? It, you know, it's really great to free yourself of all those assumptions mm, that you put on yourself. Absolutely. And then even just the thoughts that you have, just the thoughts that you have over yourself, you know? So I may not be hearing right. I'm a bad mom for my other mom friends. Right. But I'm assuming, like the assumption you mentioned is that because my son isn't, you know, Mozart at the age of one and a half, you know, and, you know, doing A, B, and C. Not running marathons. Exactly. Doing all the things that my mom's friends' kids are doing that I'm a bad mom. But I think you made a great point in saying, okay, but where did that thought come from? Is that because I hold the expectation for myself that success Mm -hmm. is based on what my friends' kids are doing. You know, that's a root. Mm -hmm. Like, what is my image of success? What is my, what is my validation for my worth? You know, and we can get into those like in a biblical sense, but you made a great point and just talked about like, what is actually true and what is an appropriate response? My appropriate response to that feeling is like, okay, you're right. I might be a little envious. I wonder where this is coming from. Oh, probably because I got two hours of sleep last night and I haven't eaten breakfast or lunch and it's three o'clock, you know? Right. And then we can deal with the actual court issue. Exactly. And if you're having trouble, check the facts, go to the Bible, go to science, right? What does the Bible say about me being a mom? 
what does science say about the appropriate developmental stages of my child? You know, it's like we can we can cope better than we are coping now, I think is a, the point to this. Yes. And I love how you brought all that in of like, I haven't eaten and I haven't slept. Well, yeah, no way you're going to feel like a good mom when you don't have protein in your body in those Exactly. Sleep. So then you're like, okay, I can just smile and laugh about that. Yes. This one is really helpful too. It's called self-soothe. So do you know how to calm yourself and get yourself grounded? This is so big and it's not the easy fix. It's the one that takes time. So I recommend most of my counselor, my counselors, my um, clients to have like a mindfulness journal. And if my, if, you know, journaling isn't your thing, it can be your own. It can be art. It can be poetry. It can be music playlists. I mean, you know, really use your imagination, but you know, sometimes we think, oh my gosh, I have a hundred thoughts going around in my head, to-do list, people that are mad at me, you know, feelings I need to deal with, money issues, and it's really only like 10 thoughts, but they just swirl so fast you think it's a hundred thoughts. So to be able to put that on a piece of paper and say, mm. oh, there's only really five things that I'm really struggling with today. And again, I'm not trying to oversimplify anyone's mental health. I'm just saying, mm. how do we deal with big feelings on a day-to-day basis? A practical way. Right. And a practical way, absolutely, to quite literally put pen to paper and say, mm-hmm. I've wrestled with this, yes. you know, tightness of chest. I can't focus, loss of motivation. But when I can sit down for even, I've had friends um, that I've suggested this to. If you can just set your timer for two minutes and just brain dump everything that you're feeling. One, I think it's so, like you said, self-soothing to be able to see all my thoughts on paper because then I can like conceptualize the overwhelm, right? Like I can see. Yeah. And they're not as scary when you can put them, fit them in one page. Exactly. And then I can objectively process. And like you said, appropriately respond to, oh, I'm not actually thinking about these hundred things. These two or three things on my to-do list today are really what's eating at me. So how do I move forward and ask for support? Is that calling my husband and asking that he would be home at a certain time? Is that Mm -hmm. texting a friend and saying, Hey, I need a word of encouragement today. Is it making sure that while my son naps, I sit and create more space for my journal? So I think that's a great point. And the hope for that step is not to be another thing on the to-do list, but almost a solace you can run to. Okay, I have my mindfulness playlist that when I can't write and I can't think, I'm just going to turn on this music because I know it's going to help me pay attention to what's going on Mm. inside of me. Yeah, a cue. Yes. There is a grounding technique. We'll put this down below, you know, link it. But, you know, it's the simple, okay, five things I see, you know, four things I can touch, three things I can smell, one thing I can taste. I might be saying those out of order, but it's it's grounding with the senses. So again, getting our body into what's going on because a lot of the time our nervous system is, you know, going wild over the two things on our mindfulness journal list. Mm. Mm-hmm. So we also have to learn how to bring our body back and say, wait, okay, we don't have to be in fight or flight right now. We need to calm down. Right. We need to sit down see our surroundings, realize the world is not spinning off its axis, and that I can pause, truly get my heart rate down, truly get my emotional distress down. So right. that you can do that, right? Because if you're not 
if you're on edge, if you feel like you're you know, having a panic attack or you're at breakdown point, your first step might not be mindfulness journal. You know, your first step might be, okay, how do I plant my feet on the ground, look around, ground myself in the room I'm in with these, you know, five steps so that I can figure out what's going on. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really wise point to make that in those, you know, DEFCON 10 situations, the last thing I want to do is sit down and yes. write out all my feels. Right, right. And that would be crazy to be like, hi, Rami, you're having a panic attack. Can you please just, you know, go jot down yes. some ideas in your head? But whoa, whoa, whoa. we got to get you grounded. Mm. We got to get you breathing, which leads me to my next point of, okay, I never want to be the counselor that's like, oh, just breathe. Just right. take your deep breaths. But y'all, if you are not breathing, you cannot be grounded. Mm. You know, if you are not breathing, you are not going to be able to grasp what's going on. Like we said, getting in touch with reality, checking the Mm -hmm. facts. Because, I mean, think about it. Every time we get shortness of breath or we're not breathing, what's that? We're in an an argument. We're stressed. We're moving too Mm -hmm. fast. We're working out, Right. right? Our heart rate is not supposed to be that high at all times and there's so many different ways to breathe out there so find you know pick your adventure works for you but I think I really think if you can't do anything else are you able to stop and truly breathe Mm -hmm. that's some of the most helpful things when you can have someone say okay I'm not gonna try to fix you but I know you need to breathe that can be really helpful yeah I also want to encourage listeners to just find what works Mm -hmm. for you you know these are just a few that work really well for me um, but I, some people, you know, need to have a granola bar on themselves at all times. Some people need to keep that scent of lotion in their purse so that when they do get dysregulated, they can breathe in that scent and that can help them get regulated. Um, you know, it's really finding what helps you. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many easy, easy things that do not cost as much as therapy that can really help you get grounded. And that can be like music is a huge one to have your emergency playlist, you know, to have your journal close, to have that scripture memory in in your back pocket that you can pull out and you don't even have to think twice Mm -hmm. about it. So I think my whole conclusion of this section is like, don't beat yourself up if you don't know Mm -hmm. how to cope well, you know, but you can start coping well to where you can get through the work day, to where you can get through hard conversations, you can get through awkward dinners. You can breathe through the panic attacks and get to a place where you can call a friend and ask for help. So I hope those are some practical things. Mm. So then, of course, there's like, you know, I cannot do this podcast without talking about self-care. I know this this is all that you talk about on your podcast, but I'm just going to list out some questions. Are you sleeping? Are you moving your body three to four times a week? Yes. Are you eating balanced? Are you connected with others? How is your hy- hygiene? Are you having mindfulness time? Have you had your yearly checkup and blood work done? So I think something is really tragic is when there's this underlying health issue, such as a thyroid dysfunction, but you're beating yourself up because you're depressed. So I think it's really, really helpful to kind of know what's also going on health-wise because you don't want to, you know, have, let's say, you know, an autoimmune disorder and then be thinking, why are these anxiety coping mechanisms or my, you know, my anxiety meds not helping like they should, right? Mm, that's a good point. Yes. So I think we just can't have people out there beating themselves up when there's underlying issues. Right. 
So I think sometimes if you're feeling not like yourself and you're having these big feelings, run through those questions and maybe we can even type them out too. Of like, it's just a good yeah, check-in I'll of like, them. oh, maybe I'm feeling kind of depressed because I haven't been outside in four days. Right? Yeah. People <laughs> underestimate the power of the sun, right? Yes. And you For know, like practical grounding. Yes. And it's like, why have I felt so anxious? You know, I'm like... Maybe because I'm working from home and I'm not seeing people all the time. And so I need to go to these things like book club and Bible study and, you know, football watch parties just because I need that human interaction. No, those are all just, I think, great checkpoints, practical checkpoints. Let's circle back to, unfortunately, the reality of the brokenness of the Mm -hmm. world. We talked a lot about practicals and processing our emotions. Mm -hmm. But -hmm. like you said, we live in this holy tension where the world really sucks sometimes. So, like, we talked about, you know, brokenness is in part a part of life, and just checking in with yourself, too, of saying, how am I dealing with my own brokenness? Is my family's brokenness affecting me a lot? What about my relational brokenness? Um, am I suppressing it? Am I blaming it on others? Am I unwilling to deal with it? Are good questions to ask? And I think the place that we all want to be headed towards this reality is, like, I am a complex being with a complex story that needs to be taken care of mm. in the hands of God. Mm-hmm. So I think a good next step, if you're finding yourself kind of stuck in this, like, oh my gosh, like I just cannot get over this struggle I have with my family or like, I just cannot acknowledge why this past relationship didn't work out. And I think it's helpful to, you know, this could be calling a friend. This could be praying an unfiltered prayer to the Lord for the first time, or it might be, Hey, I need to get some professional help. Mm-hmm. Um, So I think, I hope I'm answering your question, but I think in all the things we've talked about for the past few minutes, it's not this faith or feelings. It's how do we live with faith and feelings? We have to learn how to live in this tension because it's not going anywhere. Yes. And that tension is not like we weren't. I also want to like clarify that we're not meant to live in this tension alone. And like you said, there's an aspect of community that fills that gap. But I think ultimately yeah. that's where the Lord comes in and his comfort and sovereignty and abundance of grace is he didn't drop us on a broken planet with, you <laughs> yeah. know, like wrestling with all of these like horrible things that go on in our world for him to look at us and be like, mm-hmm. figure it out. Like that's not within God's yeah. character. Yeah. And so yeah. to the listeners and I think even to our past selves that have walked through those raw and just like really hard seasons, the simple reminder that it's a both and, and the, and I think the, and that the Lord is still good and sovereign and isn't out Mm -hmm. to punish me. Like you mentioned earlier, he isn't angry with me. I think that God's power can be perverted in a lot of ways, but coming back to, I think the ultimate promise of God is that he loves us so we can love others. Yeah. Grounds us in the fact that even in the midst of horrible, horrible things that people can encounter, it doesn't discredit their feelings. It doesn't discredit right. their experience. But God is so good and he cares about everything that you've walked through. Yes, you put that so beautifully. Thank you. I think this might, I think this next section may or may not be a hot button topic, but I think it's super important that we at least cover it 
So what do you think about the church's role or community in supporting others towards mental illness? Because I think now our culture is talking about trauma. Our culture Mm -hmm. is bringing some of these issues to light. But I still think that this is a hush-hush conversation in some congregations. Yeah, absolutely. I I love that you answered this because I just, I could talk all day about this. So I'm just going to kind of share my heart and how I feel like the church Mm -hmm. could handle this in a really great way. So I think first we have to acknowledge mental health is so complex. You know, some of the anxiety and depression we were talking about earlier, it's not as easy as a quick coping skill for everyone. You know, it is a complex thing. And even as I was preparing this, I was just, you know, trying to phrase everything in a way that was just nuanced, you know, because we can't Mm -hmm. say these like, well, you just need to accept the reality and get on with life. You know, we can't say these like just one truth is true for all people besides God's word, obviously. So I just think it's complex. It's nuanced. Um, I think churches really have to acknowledge the biological aspect of mental health. So, you know, anxiety, depression, panic attacks, post-traumatic stress disorder, in most cases cannot be healed by a Bible verse. And it's actually incredibly Mm. painful Mm -hmm. when someone's handed scripture and said, cope. I think, yeah, just to touch on that, I think so many people that walk into community and honestly may walk out because trauma and brokenness is handled that way. And I'm not going to say that I haven't done that, you know, and I don't think... Oh, gosh, yeah, I look back and cringe sometimes. Absolutely. And think, oh, well, if God's word is true, then it should be healing for all of these things, which it is, you know, but the both and aspect of that is God also created us for community. And when he initially created us perfectly, we screwed it up. So our bodies are broken. And I think that touches back to what you had said earlier about the biological piece of Mm -hmm. a Bible verse is not going to fix a hormonal imbalance or chemical imbalance in somebody's brain. Right. And just because, you know, I've struggled with a type of anxiety doesn't mean that's the type of anxiety that someone else has struggled with, you know? And so we have to be careful that, you know, we can of course share our experience and encourage others, but we don't want to say oh, yes, my, this verse has helped me when someone's struggling with, like, a hormonal chemical imbalance and expected to be, you know, done with it. And I think, you know, something that is really helpful, I think, for churches to realize is, like, okay, these disorders are not punishments for sin but come from living in a broken world. So we can't Mm. blame people. Like you said, that's the fastest way to get someone to walk right back out that door. So the church's role, let's get into this, is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So how I see the church in this is coming mm-hmm. alongside those who are hurting and struggling. I think it yes. is so helpful when, like we talked about, like churches have that validating attitude towards mental health, even if they don't know the right answer or the next step, but saying, wow, I see that you're struggling and that this is really hard. Um, you know, it, believing it's not just a sin issue, not shaming people who need medication, you know, we, we trust doctors in the church, right? You know, we wouldn't always go to a pastor and say, how do I heal my broken bone? Mm-hmm. So it's not always like, you know, we, there are doctors and trained people for a reason that are brilliant and helpful and even Christian providers that can yes. give you certain approaches. Um, mm-hmm. 
I think too, having a plan for people that are in crisis or having a list of trusted community therapists or even members in the church that are willing to kind of handle these crises. You know, let's say someone's child has their first um, manic episode or someone is suicidal or there is, um, I mean, there's just a hope, you know, an addiction comes out, an affair comes out, you know, these are true life crisis crises that a lot of times the church mm-hmm. is intercepting, right? They're kind of the first line of defense for a lot of people. And I think right. it's really helpful, even if the church is not saying we're the ones who are going to deal with this or solve this problem, they have some practical steps. Okay. Get in line with this crisis center. Here is this hospital that can stabilize your child. Here is maybe the psychiatrist that could get this meds regulated. Here is some integrated counselors that we really trust. I think that can be so helpful for people in the congregation. Mm. Yeah. I think it just goes back to understanding that, Mm -hmm. you know, the world is broken. And it's funny because I've heard it recently that people approach the church like a hospital. And I think you had a great point. Like, you wouldn't go to a pastor to heal, you know, your physical wounds cancer yeah but sometimes we yeah but sometimes I think we still make the same mistake in approaching our spiritual healers for emotional and mental healing does that make sense yeah yeah and it's it's so it's such a gray area because so much of you know I mean it does say he is the Mm -hmm. prince of peace he came to help us with our suffering. So there is so much in the Bible that can be so applicable to most people in the congregation. But like you said, we can't just have this hard fast rule for everyone. So that foundation of support, I think would be so crucial. Right. And just having a plan I think is great and can make churches feel equipped. You know, I'm not saying that every church needs to have an LPC on staff or, you know, a counseling center. Or, you know, pay for people to go to counseling. But I do think there has to be some kind of, okay, in an emergency with this struggling couple, with this person who really needs a higher level of care, how do we get them into that in a streamlined way? Yeah. And there are people that are not qualified stepping into those conversations. Because that can honestly provide more space for the enemy and honestly more damage. yeah. Yeah, we just don't want to add more confusion to people who are already going through probably one of the toughest weeks of their life. Mm-hmm. The great mm-hmm. thing that churches have gotten right is the grief groups, the celebrate recovery, the adoption support groups, marriage groups, parenting groups. And I think that is so needed because those are cost-free resources that people can show up to on a weekly basis and be surrounded in that healthy community. Yeah. I feel like this is like one of the most important parts because this is what people have access to right now, hopefully in their life. So when we're talking about community, I want to just define that. We are talking about your good friends, your church family, and healthy family members that you see often. So these are the life-giving, safe people who have boundaries in their life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We have to have our people. So, you know, how I like to put it is, you know, a therapist can help you process your mm-hmm. miscarriage, mm-hmm. cope with depression, yeah. but We cannot be someone you call at midnight. You can't go to their house and cry. And you can't, I can't go into my client's bedroom and say, hey, you're having a depressive episode. Let's go for a walk. Right? And so I think that's like the cool thing of like, that is where people in your life matter so much because you have constant access to them. 
I love Kurt Thompson. Mm-hmm. If y'all haven't heard of him, he actually has a great podcast too. In his book, The Anatomy of the Soul, he talks about how we can develop love for one another. So I want to read these out because they're just so good. So, you know, this is how relationships should look. You know, the process of being known, the experience of feeling felt, the encounter of being validated but never coddled, being cared for but not overwhelmed or patronized, being fully understood while called into proper risk-taking adventure, and being healed and awakened to growth, compassion, and responsibility. And I just Mm, love mm -hmm. that because it just encapsulates what I think a healthy friendship, healthy relationships look like and what, why those can be so life-giving and why God intended it that way. You know, I think it's okay to tell a friend like, Hey, I'm here with you Mm. on this journey. And I think it's time that you go talk to someone professionally. You know, a lot of us like to play counselor in our friends' lives. And while of course, you know, we can be there for our friend and encourage them, remind them of their coping strategies. We also don't have to take that burden on. Um, You can help validate, you can research solutions and just be there. That's what people need to just need you to be there. So I think that's, just an encouragement to listeners. You do not mm. have to fix someone. Being right. there is so valuable. You know, you think about when a person dies in someone's life and they don't need you to say all these things. They just need you to sit with them. And I think that is like across the board, a picture of what we can be to people. And it might feel awkward. I'm, you know, me, I'm a talker. Clearly, probably from this podcast, you can tell <laughs> I just want to say things. I want to fill in all the quiet space. And sometimes that's just not necessary. Mm. Yeah, I want to circle back real quick to Kurt Thompson because mm-hmm. I may, you may correct me on this, but he has a podcast. If it's the same person I'm thinking of, is the Being Known podcast. Yes, I believe um, that's it. Yes. And it is absolutely incredible. I'll link that in the show notes because they had a season, I think the season prior to this one, on all about trauma. Um, and he also has some really good resources on shame. And I think in the midst of, you know, I'm biased to our podcast because I love you, but I think being willing to be open to passive resources like a podcast or a book or scripture, like these are the ways that you can practically start speaking truth over your soul because you may not be in a place where you have community, you know, and you may not be in a place where you're willing and able to be vulnerable Um, But I think you had a great point in saying that vulnerability is the key to healing, especially within your community. Um, Because in order for someone to be present with you, they have to know you. And again, not as intimately as God knows you, but to emulate that within your community is where the gospel really comes through. Um, And I'm also super thankful for your point about not needing to play counselor. For our friends. We can just be their friend. <laughs> um, definitely. I had a friend in college that I remember walking through like a really messy season and I felt so much shame and guilt of sharing that with her. And I just said, you know, I don't want to be a burden. I think that's where those lies come in of, yeah, I didn't want to yeah. be too much, you know, especially in my emotions, right. female feelings, whatever. And her encouragement in that moment was, Raina, I am not taking your burdens for myself 
because every time, you know, we're called to share our, our burdens with our brothers and sisters. But she said, I am not taking that burden for myself. I simply help you bear it. And then I drop it off at the foot of the cross. Oh gosh, that's so good. And I've held on to that image with other friends as I've been on the other side of friends coming to me and saying, and sharing just like real raw life together. And I have to remind them of, I'm not the healer, but I know someone who is, and I can walk this with you without fixing you. Because ultimately, I'm not called to carry it. I'm called to be obedient and letting the Lord have the space in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And just being able to be used by God. Not being, needing to play God, not needing to play counselor. Just, hey, I'm here, you know, and I'm willing to do this with you. And that's such a beautiful thing to have friendships like that. I just don't even want to stop talking. But <laughs> this has been such a sweet and I, I think just beautiful reflection over conversations that we've had over the years. But as we wrap up, can you share about where our community can connect with you? Um, you know, off, uh, do you have services? I know that you're um, kind of virtual right now. What does it kind of look like for our community to connect with you or in the future? So, yeah, if anyone has any questions about what we've talked about or would like to talk about if we are a good fit for therapy, I will link my um professional profile below as well as my email and my um, client contact number. So I, I really would just love to be a resource for any of your listeners. Um, I have a question for you that we close with all of our guests as we, you know, approach healing in a holistic way. But I think this is also like a rich but sensitive conversation. So In closing, if you could provide any wisdom to your younger self or our community that is listening, what would you share? Okay, I love this question. It's so fun. Um, I wish I could tell myself to this at like so many different stages, but I would give her a hug and then I would say, how you talk to yourself matters. Um, Sometimes I tell my Mm. client, we can be the most toxic person in our life. And so I think I would want Definitely. my younger self to know that, like, how I treat myself matters. Um, and I know we all have to learn this lesson on our own, but I would also love to tell her that comparing herself to others is so worthless and that God has the best plan for my life and it will look differently from others. And that is a great thing. Mm, yeah. And I think sometimes we wrestle, we wrestle with the fact that, There's a beauty in being different and there's beauty and richness and the fact that all of our healing journeys will look different too. Allie, this has been such a joy and just a privilege for you um, to just share wisdom and insight and a part of your story and heart with us. So thank you so much for joining us today. And I just can't wait to share this with everybody. So we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Yes. Thanks so much for having me. This episode of If Only Our Wiser has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more episodes so you don't miss any encouragement. And don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to build our community and share more about topics that will be healing and helpful for you. See you in the next episode.